Welcome back to the uh, Palm View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. <clears throat> My joy to be able to present God's Word to our congregation and then to you who are listening at home on the, the podcast. It's pretty amazing what <clears throat> kind of technology we have that allows us to reach more people. And uh, I praise God for this opportunity to share with you some thoughts, <clears throat> especially as we are entering into the Thanksgiving season. We have a couple of Sundays that uh, happen before Thanksgiving Thursday, and uh, I really want us to, to kind of dig into what the Bible talks about with uh, Thanksgiving. I, I want to open up with a very dumb joke, though, and you probably have heard this joke, but it's an old preacher's joke. It's about a man who bought a horse from an old Quaker preacher, and uh, the uh, Quaker preacher selling the horse said, now this horse is a special horse. He's a spiritual horse. If you want him to go, you've got to say, praise the Lord. And if you want him to stop, you have to say, amen. Well, the, the man said, okay, let, let, let me see uh, if I feel comfortable on this horse. And so he got on the horse, and he already forgot the instructions because he gets on the horse, and he says, giddy up, giddy up, let's go, giddy up. Horse wouldn't move. Preacher had to remind him. Listen, he goes when you say, praise the Lord. Oh, that's right. So he says, praise the Lord. And immediately the horse was off, speeding down the road. I mean, it was, a, it was a fast horse. And pretty soon the man riding the horse realizes that right in front of him, there's coming up in about 100 yards or less uh, a cliff, that they were headed straight for this cliff that was a sheer cliff that was a, a, a drop of about 100 feet. And so he says, whoa horse would not listen. He says, whoa! Again, the horse didn't respond at all, and finally he, he realizes, oh, that's right, there's, a, there's another phrase that I have to say, and, and he couldn't remember it, but now he's panicking because he's getting closer and closer to the edge of the cliff, and finally, at the very last second, he remembers, he says, amen! And the horse stops on a dime right before they would go over the cliff. <sighs> Breathing a sigh of relief, the man says, praise the Lord. Now, you, you understand that that's just a, a, a funny joke, right? Or a dumb joke. But praise the Lord. I, I want to talk about that, this, uh, this idea of being thankful and saying praise the Lord. It's easy to say praise the Lord. It's easy to be thankful when things are going well, right? Like when you ace that test or when that uh, annual physical from the doctors actually turns out good. Uh, when you get your raise, or in, you know, in my world, when the church is growing, or you know, when the family is flourishing, it's not so easy to give thanks when we fail that test, or, or when the prognosis from the doctor is not good, or when we get fired, or when people leave the church, or when tragedy strikes. You, you know, you, you watch sports, and they, they really show you what is the prevailing mindset. You, you know, I have yet to see a, a batter get up uh, in a baseball game and strike out and point his finger to the sky giving thanks to God. Or, or if, if a quarterback gets sacked, he gets up and he points his finger to God saying, thank you, thank you, God. See, we, we don't thank God for when we get sacked. We only thank God for when we make that touchdown, right? But here's the deal. Is God only faithful and loving and only should be thanked when favorable circumstances come? Do we think God has forgotten about us when bad things happen? 
or even worse, that God is not able to protect us from the bad stuff? Is God our God only when things are going well? What happens when things go bad? Why do bad things happen to good people? Philosophers and theologians struggle with that question. And they give us a lot of different answers like, well, we need to we wouldn't appreciate the goodness of life if we didn't experience the, the bad. Some discuss how God, the sovereign God, does permit evil to occur. Um, others wonder how it's humans, how they play into this whole thing. And, and, you know, it's humans that are causing the evil, not God. You, you can spend a lot of time listening to philosophers and theologians, but I, I just have a question. What does the Bible say, Right? You go to the Bible and you begin to see why bad things happen to good people. Paul talked about being thankful in a very amazing way. In in Ephesians 5, Paul said that one of the characteristics of the people who are full of God's Spirit is a continual attitude of thanksgiving in whatever situation. Now, when Paul said this, apparently he was imprisoned in Rome. Okay, He was in prison when he wrote about having a continual spirit of thanksgiving. Now, that imprisonment in Rome came after he had narrowly escaped death by a poisonous snake bite. And that snake bite came after he almost died in a shipwreck. And his shipwreck came after having a wrongful conviction by a corrupt Roman governor. And that conviction then came after he had narrowly escaped a murder plot in Jerusalem. You start to to look at that, and we think we have it rough. And here's a guy saying, let's be thankful in all circumstances. Notice it's not thankful for all circumstances, but being thankful in all circumstances. Now, now Paul's not the only one in the Bible who looked at life with that perspective. Uh, If you look at the Old Testament uh, character of Joseph, after being sold by his brothers into slavery and imprisoned on false charges and eventually then exalted to a high position, and then he realized that his brothers were there, And he could exact revenge on them if he wanted to. But he had this perspective. He said, listen, what you intended for wrong, my brothers, by selling me into slavery, what you intended for wrong, God intended for good. See, he saw a different perspective. And that good was the eventual salvation of the entire family from starving through this seven-year famine. Uh, The Old Testament character Job praised God in the midst of all of his sufferings. He had lost it all. His family, his his riches, his home. And and yet after losing it all, he sang the song that you might sing in your church. uh, You give and take away. Speaking to the Lord. You give and take away. And my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Real quick, I want to tell you a story about uh, my late wife and I. When we were living in Elk Grove, California, um, we, had been, we had fallen victim to a scam. My wife had lost her purse, and she had received a phone call from the bank saying that they had recovered her card, but they needed to make sure it was hers, so they asked for her uh, PIN number. And uh, it turns out it wasn't the bank asking for that, and she gave them the information, and immediately our bank account was drained. Well, that was frustrating, and we didn't know if we were going to get any of it back, and uh, praise God we did, but uh, as we were driving all over town to make things right, to pick up the purse, to, to go and see the bank and do all these things, our two daughters, who were about 
six and nine at the time, were in the back seat of the car. And, and I don't know if they knew what was going on or not. I, I think that they knew that uh, we had lost some money and that there was kind of a concern there. But they were just singing in the back. They, they were just singing a, a worship song, that song. And, and I had to pause in my anxiety when I heard these two little girls singing, You give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And it hit me. That's what the reality of my faith is. And I could say like Job did, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We can go on. The, the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, he begins his prophecy with complaints that God's plan did not seem right or fair to him. And yet at the end of the book, he concludes with an amazing prayer that expresses trust in God no matter what. Daniel, the, the, the great Daniel uh, the, of the lion's den fame, he thanked God even though he knew that the punishment for being thankful to God and expressing thanks to God was to be thrown into a lion's den. And he knew that that was going to be a certain death sentence, but yet he still thanked God no matter what. And of course, Jesus, on the night before he would die, he thanked God for the, the wine and the bread, knowing full well that those symbols, the wine and the bread, would represent his blood and his body, and that they would point to what was going to happen the very next day as he would die a horrible death on the cross. Yet Jesus thanked God for the wine and the bread. See, if we get how Thanksgiving works in the Bible, then... We're not going to just fall into the trap of thanking God when things go good, but we will begin to thank God no matter what happens, because whatever happens, we know that God is good and He is faithful forever. We're not going to fully understand His providence, His will, the way that He works, His ways and His thoughts, but we can rest in who He is. We can rest in His will for our life, His purpose for our life. There's a song that we sing um, on Sunday mornings in one of our services. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And he's perfect in all of his ways. That's really at the heart of how it, what it means to be thankful in all situations, in all circumstances. Because our attitude of gratitude will, will always depend on his character. It doesn't depend on how, you know, if we get stuff from him. Uh, oh, I got blessings. I, I had goods and services from him. Therefore, I'm going to bless him. No. Our attitude of gratitude is going to depend on how we value God himself. How we, how we praise him for his goodness and his faithfulness to us. So today I want to dive into a passage that gives us insight into our response as we learn how to thank God when it seems there's nothing really to be thankful for. If you have your Bibles there, I want you to turn to 1 Peter. That's way in the back of your New Testament, almost to the book of Revelation. It goes 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John, then Jude, and then Revelation. And those are all short books. So it's almost in the very, very back. 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, this is what he says starting in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. 
But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, then what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. All right. Well, with that, the first thing I want you to see is that tough times, he says there in verses 12 and 13, tough times should never be a surprise. Should never be a surprise. In fact, I'm going to give you this insight and this warning. If you're not going through any sort of difficulties, watch out. Watch out. In, in fact, the disciples should be dis- surprised if they're not under fire. The reality of tough times is that God truly is able and does help us through it. it, it it's interesting to note that the phrase, do not be surprised, is also translated in some uh, Bibles, do not think it's a strange thing. Uh, surprised and strange are, are kind of uh, tied together in, in the Greek there. And, and it's all about foreigners. It tells us that in our mind, as disciples, in our spiritual minds, tough times, they should not be seen as strangers, right? Or aliens or foreigners. Uh, but something rather to embrace as in, a, in a sort of hospitality. I know that that's a weird concept, that you are welcoming in these troubles, uh, showing them hospitality. But in the spiritual mind, that's how we should be treating tough times. They're not strangers to us. Um, What what the Bible is saying is that we need to embrace something that is usually very dreaded, that that so many people do whatever they can to avoid having these tough times. And and why why shouldn't they avoid it? I mean, suffering is painful. But suffering can also be seen as a process by which God refines us. In Zechariah chapter 13, the Old Testament uh, prophet Zechariah, in chapter 13, he says, uh, he's quoting God, and and God has said through the prophet, uh, this third, he's talking about a third of the people, I will bring into the fire. I will bring them into the fire. Well, that sounds like that's his judgment, right? Oh, you're going to bring us into the fire. That's horrible. You're punishing us. No, 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 listen. I'm going to bring them into the fire. He says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. You see, these people were valuable to him, like silver and gold. And he says, I'm going to put you through the fire, not because I don't like you, not because I'm punishing you, but because I am refining you, because I see value in you, and I want that value to come forth and to shine through. Suffering without God's involvement brings only what the enemy can offer, um, despair, uh, pain, frustration, depression, death, self-inflicted wounds. That, that's when we suffer without God's involvement, that's what we face. But if we suffer and we understand that God is actually involved in that suffering, then we will understand that though we may not like it, though it may not be fun, it is a refining of us because God sees us as valuable. And it, it, it's an activity of growth, of deepening our spiritual lives. Our character is enhanced 
through suffering. Our intimacy with God is enhanced through suffering. Our eternal destiny is enhanced because of our suffering. Suffering also gives us a greater identity with Jesus. Um, when you look there in First Peter four thirteen, he, he talks about participating or um, yeah, participating with Christ. I want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. That word to participate means to have a close connection with something. Okay, so when we participate in Christ's sufferings, we are having this close connection with Him. So we are identifying with Jesus. And as we identify with him, the Holy Spirit inside of us develops things in us, things like joy and fellowship. Uh, Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. There's a fellowship that is developed inside of us, a a fellowship with the Lord as, as we suffer. Also, the Holy Spirit develops glory in us. Romans 8, 17 says, Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, the suffering happens only, though, not on its own, but only to lead us to something else, and that what Paul says there in Romans chapter 8, what it leads to is glory. And then he, Paul also talks to Timothy about how sharing in the sufferings brings us the authority of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. There will be authority in our life. We will be able to judge um, the, rightly uh, with his authority. We need to get into our minds that when tough times come, times where it really does seem like there's nothing to be thankful for, the the reality is is that we can be thankful because God is there using those tough times to refine us, to bring out the value that he had put inside of us a long time ago, and to create in us something of eternal value. The second thing that I want you to see from the first Peter passage is that trouble is never wasted in God's economy. If you look back at verses 14 through 17, he talks about suffering, and and the the best reason to suffer is not because you've sinned or you're you're a horrible person, but because if you're suffering as a Christian, you shouldn't be ashamed of, uh, of that. You should praise God that you bear his name because judgment begins with the family of God, okay? Here's something to chew on. God's judgment even in our life, is not without a purpose. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we should endure hardship as discipline because God is treating us as his children. And he says, for, for what child is not disciplined by his father? I'll tell you this, a child that's not loved by the father is not disciplined by the father. It's not talking about punishing, but he's talking about discipline. Discipline is, is different than punishment because punishment is, is really uh, uh, hinges upon the anger of the person punishing. You've hurt me. You've wronged me. Therefore, in anger, I'm going to lash out at you. But discipline is for the good of the one being disciplined. And, and it's not pleasant, the author of Hebrews says. And it doesn't last forever, but it comes so that God can discipline us because he's treating us as his children. He's got a purpose for doing this. 
There should be something significant about the fact that when trials come, God actually sees the entire circumstance from start to end, and He plans to bring about good from whatever happens. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So if we are in His will, if we are showing love to Him by obeying Him, then we are willing to take His purposes on into our life. And God will then work everything for the good of those purposes. God does not waste tough times. Turn with me to James 1. I'm going to show you this line of reasoning. Uh, First of all, uh, James 1, very famous passage, starting in verse 2, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith develops something called perseverance. God has designed our lives to play out in such a way that our spiritual muscles are built up when we strain against something. You know, perseverance doesn't just magically appear one day in your life. Perseverance comes from a very long obedience in the same direction. He goes on in the very next verse, verse 4, Perseverance then must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's plan for our lives, is that we may grow until we are mature and complete and not lack anything. See, God is more interested in the outcome of the refining process than He is about the actual process itself. He cares more about my character than He does my comfort. And so He'll put me through some hard times in order to get the best out of me, as, by the way, all good fathers should. Because he knows that with perseverance will come maturity. With perseverance comes my ability then that I've developed to see through God's eyes a a different perspective. I I can see the bigger picture. Being mature means I can now say no to things that maybe my sinful nature craves and cries out for like a child saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. But the spiritual mature man in me can say, that's not the best for me, so I will say no. James chapter five, one, 1, verse 5, the very next verse, he says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, he just talked about not lacking anything. He says, but if you lack wisdom, you should ask God, because God gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you if you ask. If you lack wisdom and ask of God, it will be given to you. See, God does want to develop wisdom in our lives, but how does it happen? Well, you got to tie it back to verses 2 and 3, where James is talking about Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, right? And then, look what he says in the very next verse, verse 6. But when you ask, when this man, this person asks for wisdom, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. Why does James use those terms, double-minded and unstable? Well, because this person that James is hypothetically speaking of, apparently this person wants wisdom. He wants maturity. He wants to be complete. That's one half of their mind. They want all of these things. But what about the other half? Well, the other half misunderstands what the wind and the waves are there for. 
they don't like the process by which God develops maturity and wisdom, which is by putting us through tough times. They, they, they see the wind and the waves, and instead of saying, these are being used for my benefit, they fear them. They, uh, uh, they, they hate them. Um, they disdain them. And because of that, they're going to be blown around because they're not holding on to the rock. Uh, they're like this double-minded man that is blown to and fro by the waves. Um, and, and so that person's a double-minded man and unstable. You, you want the maturity, but you don't want the process by which God will develop that maturity in you. They want the end result without going through the process. How American is that, by the way? We are such a microwave society that we want the results now, and we don't want to put in the effort that will take uh, to get us there. See, James is giving us a different perspective on the process. Instead of hating the process and, and saying this process is horrible, he goes, why don't you thank God for that process? Because the tough times are being used by God to build you up. You see, trouble can be a blessing. That's the context, by the way, of, of a verse down a little bit later on in the chapter, 117. We, we sing a song that, that says, Father of lights, you delight in your children. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. James 117 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So do you understand now in the context what that really means? What are those good and perfect gifts? they sometimes include trouble. Sometimes those gifts are the trouble that you hate so much and you don't want to thank God for them. And yet if you can see them as good things, good gifts, that because God is using those to make you better, then you can be thankful in times where it doesn't seem like you should be thankful at all. And that brings us to the last thing that I want you to see in 1 Peter chapter 4. And it's there in verses 18 and 19 where it says, uh, If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. See, here's the point. Our attitude towards trials is always important. Our attitude towards our trials is always important. Now, some people get tripped up on verse 18. If you, if you have your Bible and you're looking at it, you, you can see that it might confuse some people because it seems at the outset to be talking about salvation being hard for the righteous to receive. It says, it is hard for, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, dot, 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 dot. Well, if you know that salvation is a gift of God, then you know that the righteous don't achieve salvation on their own by their own righteous acts. So he can't be talking about achieving or earning salvation by being righteous. What he's saying there, when he says if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what he's saying is it is hard for the righteous to live like they are saved. Okay? It's hard for anybody, even for the righteous, to live a saved life. Why? Because difficulties, these hard times, always pose problems. There are always potential distractions, even for the righteous. And so Peter's saying that if you can have the right attitude towards the tough times, that will help get rid of those obstacles, those distractions. It's in these two verses that we see the keys to thanking God when it seems like there's no real reason to be thankful. 
Peter says we should commit ourselves to our faithful creator. To commit ourselves to him means that we are literally putting our lives into his hands. We are putting our lives into the hands of the one who is going to work it out for his purpose and his will and for our good. And so when we commit ourselves to a thankful creator, that means trusting in him no matter what. Ultimately, our ability to thank God in whatever situation arises relies on the strength of our trust in God. Okay? Trusting God in the midst of your difficult times allows you to overcome the fear that surrounds your struggles, to overcome the depression that can accompany those struggles, to overcome the, the bitterness that may invade your life and your attitude while you struggle. Trusting that God is in control, even when you cannot see the ending of your story from where you stand. Now, as I close up this teaching time, I, I want to give you some encouragement as we head into the season of Thanksgiving. I, I want to give you three practical ways today to be thankful What it seems like there is nothing to be thankful for. All right? Number one, I, I want you to do this. I want you to remember who's in control. Remember what the Bible says. Remember the truth of the Scripture. Remember who is in control. If God really is in control, then we can trust Him, right? If we realize that He actually has a plan, a, a plan that actually includes the tough times, then that will help us when we fight against the anxiety and the confusion that the enemy wants to throw at us when we hit these tough times. God is not out of control. God is still in control. And if God is in his heaven, then all is right with the world, so the saying goes. You've got to remember who is in control. And number two, you need to release then the bitterness and the anger that you're feeling when these tough times come. Now, now I get it. I have had people that are very close to me die, and I get angry. And it's okay to be angry at God and, and say, this isn't right, this doesn't feel good. And to go to God with that, that's wonderful because you actually are going to the, the person that you know is in charge, right? Uh, if you're at a restaurant and something isn't right, you want to see the person in charge who can make it right. And so it's wonderful that we run to him. But if we then live with that anger and, and we can't find any kind of resolution in, in trusting God to, to be the one who is in control and can take where we are at and make things better, if we cannot release the bitterness, then we will poison ourselves, okay? It's so hard to do this, I know, because it doesn't seem fair, I know. And yet one of the best ways to cultivate Thanksgiving is to just say, you know what, I'm going to release this to God, and I'm going to let His amazing grace not only save me, but redeem my situation as well. And lastly, I want you to remember who's in control. I want you to release the bitterness and anger, and then I want you to retain an attitude of pure joy, as James put it so eloquently. Pure joy. To, to realize that the situation does not have to dictate how I respond. Okay? Happiness is different than joy. Happiness is something that occurs when something happens to me that is good. It, it, something happens and it makes me happy. Joy is a choice. Joy is saying, you know what? I will trust 
that God's got this situation and that at the end, everything will work out the way that it's supposed to work out. I can find joy in any circumstance I have found over the years if I just focus on the right thing. If I'm putting my eyes on the waves, I'm going to get scared. I'm going to doubt God. I'm going to sink. But if I can keep my eyes on Jesus, then I will protect myself from becoming overwhelmed by the hurt and the pain. And by the way, I will also say that if, as retaining a, an attitude of pure joy means that uh, you're not doing this on, on your own. You're not doing this on your own, that you're grabbing people um, who also share the same faith that you do, the same trust in God, and allow them to walk with you through the tough times. Let God use people around you to, to actually bring comfort and peace to you as, as you are walking through these things. You know, in talking with one of our congregants this last month, he and I were struggling over this frustration of not knowing where the path was leading, right? He had been trusting God, and it seemed like at every corner, every decision he was making, he believed that God was leading him to make that decision, and yet, as he made that decision, he just met with crud and, and obstacles and, and problems he thought maybe there was going to be this great spiritual truth around the corner, and yet uh, what he saw was pain and hurt and confusion. See, he thought he knew where the path was going, and he's going, okay, I, I know where this is going to lead me. And once he got there, it didn't, it didn't turn out the way that he thought. See, when he, we realized how easy it is to think that we're trusting God, but we still have in the back of our minds how we think the story should end. Even if our intention is to bring God the glory at the end, ultimately we need to trust that God knows best. And by trusting Him, we'll even trust Him for the end of the story. That we, we're not going to write the end of our story. We're going to allow God to write the end of our story then we can actually be thankful for the way that he is writing the story because we know that it's going to be a best-selling uh, novel. It's going to be a bestseller. Because ultimately, this kind of trust, thanking God for things that don't seem to be thankworthy, that involves not looking forward to what God is doing. But sometimes it means to just say, I'm, I choose to look back. I look back on my own life. I want to look back at the lives that surround me. I, I want to go back to the scriptural examples of godly men and women to whom God was faithful. And I want to look back and see how God has always been faithful in ways that we would never have thought on our own. Why? Because God says in His Word that His ways are higher than ours and His thoughts are higher than ours. Keeping that in mind will lead us to a place where thanksgiving can be on our lips no matter what the circumstance. There's a song that we sing about He's the king of the jungle. He says, the Lord of the gentle breeze is also Lord of the rough and tumble. The, the, he's the Lord of the easy times is also the Lord in our struggles. And he's going to use those struggles for his glory, for his purposes. One of which is to make us more like Jesus. Another one is to deepen our trust in his will and his ways. And then a third is, is that he's going to bring about the greatest impact for his kingdom. And so God calls us, his people, into an attitude of worship and praise. He calls us to be a people of thanksgiving. And he calls and he says that our connection with him in this way should transcend whatever happens in our life. 
If we only thank Him in the good times, we will never develop a Christ-like attitude towards the manner in which we're being shaped like Jesus by God. See, God loves us. He has plans for us that we would never be able to comprehend on our own, and that's a good place to live, church. As Job would say, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And that's His business. That's His right. That's His choice. That's His plan. Our response just like Job's was, must always be, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what we're called into as disciples, and that's what we will do. I want to thank you for tuning into this uh, uh, podcast episode. I want to thank all the people that make it possible. Of course, I always like to thank my executive producer, Lisa Welly, who makes sure that these get up on online. I want to thank uh, Steve Pittman, one of our elders, who is just a tech guru and, and makes everything else uh, of capturing all of this stuff very possible as well. And I, I just want to thank you for continuing to tune in and learning what God may have for you. Next week, we're going to be talking more about Thanksgiving, and so hopefully you'll join us there. Uh, may God bless you, and may you live your light uh, by shining His light.